Welcome to Babylon. Point of view is so important. Two of us, any two of us, can look at exactly the same circumstances and yet not agree at all on what they mean. And let me illustrate. A professor falls asleep in his office. This was meant to be fiction. A professor falls asleep in his office and dreams that he's been caught up into the next world. And it's amazing. Every kind of beautiful sight and sound, every pleasure you can imagine, like a faculty club, only better. As he's walking along, enjoying all this wonder, he comes across another professor, someone he used to know, a former colleague, and the kind who does not work at Tyndale, who's a pain in the neck, pompous and whining and nasty, kind of person you just avoid. And this pain in the neck is being pampered and catered to by a beautiful young woman who's obviously doting on him, running to bring him every kind of food and drink and luxury he might want, listening raptly to every syllable that pours out of his mouth, because, of course, he's still lecturing, <laughs> mopping his brow with her hanky when he gets overheated from all that talk. And the dreamer can't take much more of this and blurts out, that hardly seems fair. An angel rebukes him sternly, saying, that poor young woman's punishment is none of your concern. All depends on the point of view. Let me take you back to an event that happened a very long time ago, the significance of which was interpreted in two very different ways, depending on the point of view. And we'll make it personal, since I'd like you to think about this as if it had happened or is happening now, and to you, to me. Who are you? You're a student, or a rabbi, or you have other so some other sort of duty in life. But anyway, you're a member of ancient Israel. The calendar says 587 B.C. Where? Welcome to Babylon. You've been wrenched out of your home in Jerusalem, the city of the great king, the city of God, and taken by force to Babylon, the place of the enemy. You're one of the lucky ones who wasn't killed, just kidnapped and exiled. But Babylon... Think of Genesis 11. Think of what Babel or Babylon signified to the ancient people of Israel. If I can paraphrase just a little bit from that chapter in Genesis, they had bricks instead of stone. They had tar instead of mortar. You can't read that without a Jewish accent. Bricks instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. They got it all wrong. They thought they were building the gate of God. That's what Babel seems to mean in Sumerian. But they were really just babbling. Babel sounds like a Hebrew word for mixed, perhaps with a sense of mixed up, confused. Why? Here's the important bit. From the Babylonian point of view, it's simple. You're here because Israel is a troublemaking province of the empire, always on the verge of revolt. They've decided to Babylonize. Hmm. Babylonify? They've decided to make you a Babylonian to re-educate your Jewishness out of you, including, of course, your religious beliefs, so that you'll become a productive member of Babylonian society. 
That's the Babylonian point of view. But from the Jewish point of view, articulated by the prophets before and during the exile, this forced removal of God's people from the promised land of Israel is a judgment on their sin and God's call to repent and return as a people to the law, the rule of God's, the rule of life with God as its center, the picture of what a redeemed, restored, Edenic human life could be, fulfilling the promise that through Abraham all nations of the world would be blessed. That's who, when, why, where, what now. The words of Psalm 137 were set to music by Antonin Dvorak. Don't look nervous, I'm not going to sing them. But I remember them sung about a hundred times uh, when my sister and I, she's here by the way, I won't ask her or else there would be a replay of the play Murder in the Cathedral. Um, I heard her sing it about a hundred times as she and I were getting ready for a um, music exam and it has haunted me ever since. It's a, no, in a good way. <laughs> she sings really well. This is Psalm 137, set to Antonin Dvorak's music. By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered thee, O Zion. As for our harps, we hanged them up on the willow trees, for they that had brought us to misery asked of us a joyful song. Yea, they did speak to us with mocking words. Sing us now, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Then we did answer, how can we sing to you? How can we sing our glad songs in a strange land, Jerusalem? If I should forget thee, O oh, Jerusalem, then let my right hand forget its cunning. That is, we can't be what we're supposed to be here. We are going to sit this one out, remain stumm, refuse to cooperate with the enemy. We're going to hug our misery to ourselves and wait for God to take us out of this place so that we can serve him again properly. But that's not what Jeremiah said. I'm going to read just a little bit of what has already been read. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried out of, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You notice the point of view question again. Who brought Israel to Babylon? Both the Babylonians themselves and their miserable Jewish captives would agree on that one. Babylon brought Israel to Babylon. But God's voice in the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah says twice in these three little verses, I carried you. I have carried you. And why? To be Babylonized? or to be punished for sin? That's not what it says here. Listen again to what the exiles are commanded to do. Build, plant, 
marry, live. Israel had been supposed to be a light to the nations, as obvious as a city on a hill, with light spilling out of every window into the night sky, with a message for its neighbors. This is how to live. This is what life is like under the rule of God. Here's the happiness, the harmony, the integrity, the shalom that God intended for the world before we all mucked it up with sin. Come. Come and live with us. Learn about our God, the maker of heaven and earth. He wants us to share him with you, to reconcile you to himself. But you didn't do that. Instead, you turned inward, treated God as if he were your possession instead of the other way around. You didn't care about the heathen much except to want to destroy them and take what they had. You didn't want to share your knowledge of God. You kept it to yourself until it became a little bent, twisted idol in your hearts. And you began to worship Jewishness itself instead of your privilege as the people to whom God had chosen to reveal himself. So, what you failed to do there in Israel, you will do here in Babylon. Here among the heathen, you can't hide your light. Welcome to Babylon. Crossroads of the world. Build, plant, marry, live, worship. Be the light to the nations you were called to be, to be because the nations are here. Welcome to Babylon. In its darkness and confusion, you are called to bring light and grace and reconciliation. One year and one week ago exactly, 53 weeks, on a Tuesday morning, I drove down Bayview from the 407 to the Ballyconner Court for the very first time and passed a Buddhist temple, a mosque, a synagogue, a Zoroastrian center, several Protestant churches, and a Roman Catholic mother house in secondary school. And I thought, welcome to Babylon. Because the world is here. As Israel was exiled to Babylon to demonstrate right in the heart of the confused, broken, troubled, ancient Middle East what a redeemed human culture could look like, so we are here, you and I, to live out in the heart of this great, confused, broken, wonderful city, that same vision of a redeemed life. Welcome to Babylon. But I was called to be a teacher, not a farmer. You were called to be a student, not a prophet. How do you and I plant vineyards in our Babylon? We learn and we teach. We do what we do. Dig deeply into your courses and your research. Build on the foundation of a solid biblical worldview, a breadth of study in the liberal arts and a depth of study in your own chosen academic discipline, that subject for which your own unique blend of talent and ability and experience and inclination have prepared you. Don't wait to figure out what's next. Learning is what's now, here in Babylon. This is your calling. Your spiritual act of worship, as the text that we read together from Romans 12 reminds us, it is by the renewing of your minds, our minds, that we can demonstrate to our Babylon what the good, perfect, pleasing will of God for a human life looks like up close. The next year or two, or four, 
or five or six. Don't laugh. I spent more than 26 years in the last university I attended, and I left without taking a degree. (laughs) However long you spend in study here is in one way, of course, a preparation and equipping for the life that you'll lead after and elsewhere. That other university used to have a motto that I loved, learning is for serving. And in a profound way, I found that to be true. But I've also come to believe that in a deeper way, learning is not for serving exactly, or not just for that. Learning is serving. Learning is that specific kind of serving that you and I are called to do here and now as Christian academics. People who are in exile are naturally focused on the future, on the end of their suffering. When will we be back where we belong? How long will this last? What do I need to do to get out of here in one piece? That is, exiles are emotionally, spiritually like students or other prisoners. How many years, how many courses, how many lectures, assignments, exams, essays have to be got past before I get out of here and real life begins? Your professors do the same thing. I hope I'm not telling tales. They count off the number of lectures and faculty meetings and essays to be marked before they get back to the real life of reading and research and performance. And who can blame them? But we can't wait for real life to begin some other time. Real life is the present, the here and now, the ordinary. There's nothing necessarily spiritual about being in a university any more than there's something necessarily spiritual about planting vines or building houses or getting married. But this is our Babylon, and learning is our vineyard. This is where you show a difference to the world around you, not merely in your choice of a place to study or to teach or work, though that is a part of it and a significant part. More important is how you do the work you're called to, what motivates you to do it, and what your plans are for using what you learn to make a difference in the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is your spiritual act of worship. You are the light of the world. You are the city set on a hill, Thornhill, as it happens, that cannot be hidden. So don't wait. Get stuck in. Don't wait for the exile to end. Don't wait to get back to wherever you're from, whether it's the Far East, Pickering, the Wild West, Mississauga, or the frozen north of Richmond Hill. You see, I've already become a Torontonian. That's the extent of my geographical knowledge. That's where civilization ends, folks. Welcome to Babylon. You're here for a while. Make yourself at home. Be what you're called to be here now. Live, study, work, think. Show this confused city what a grounded, redeemed, grateful human community of learners can look like when it's infused by God's grace and love and an awareness of the living presence of Christ in every square inch, every split second. Without arrogance, without self-glory, be that community of grace that holds the light of Christ for our neighbors so that they may see good work 
good work and give glory not to us, but to our Father. Pray for grace to be together that city on a hill that can't hide, that won't hide, that invites our neighbors in to join us in this adventure of discovery of God's world, God's word, God's light. Let's share what we've been given in this place. Open the doors to our neighbors in the academy and in the city. Together we are called truly to offer a welcome to Babylon. Thank you.